0: who you are, young lady. You certainly know how to handle yourself well. Batgirl? Batgirl? Batgirl?
1: Yes, Batgirl.
0: Biff Bam Pow. This is Batman Land. Our purpose here is quite serious. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We might as well get a few
1: laughs out of it. We
0: discuss the episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. My name is Dan Barrett. I work on the SBS site, The Guide, and joining me each and every week is my perfidious partner in podcasting, it's Nick Bessine. You have such a great way with language. It is a command of which I've sensed a certain amount of pride within my life. My mum cannot stop talking about it. About how
1: great you are with language?
0: With the words. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes she just likes me to write random words on post-its, puts it on a refrigerator. To show people how well you've written that word. My penmanship largely, but just general command of language.
1: What is happening to penmanship these days now that everything is tapped out on phones, Dan?
0: It's pretty poor, and quite frankly, I think it's an offensive state that we've allowed our culture to lapse into. Amen. Mm. I wish we could live back in the 60s when penmanship mattered. Here's the thing I like to do for the SBS website, and you've probably seen you sit just a few desks away from me. I like to get out a nice A3 size of paper. A3? A3. I like to get out my quill. I like to get my (laughs) little pots with my ink, and I dab into that. I write out every article that we have on the SBS site, okay? in, you know, the proper cursive, in the Queen's English, obviously. Right. And then once I'm satisfied with how it's looking on the page, I can then truly appreciate the creative triumph that it is, and then I transfer it onto a computer screen.
1: And that's that's why you only get one post done a month. Mm. But it's it's some of the, the best stuff on the internet.
0: Yeah. I mean, nobody reads the articles.
1: No. Well, no. I mean, a month later, they're way out of date. Anything you're writing about people have long forgotten about.
0: Mm. But it's about the craft. And I think that the bosses appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely think so. You know what else they appreciate? What? They enjoy finely honed podcasts where they talk about the TV show Batman from 1966 Mm -hmm. and later episodes from 1967. Great. And let's just say the managing director will be very happy to know that this week we are talking about a horse of another color. Which is an episode that went to air initially on the 12th of October, 1967. And then after that, we're going to talk about the unkindest tut of all, which aired on the 19th of October, 1967. Now, Nick Bassine, here's the thing. We've got an issue. First time it's come up in Batman Land history, where we've got a cliffhanger from last week going into the resolution of said cliffhanger this week. But I don't remember what happened this week, let alone what happened last week with the cliffhanger. Nick Bussain, can you please do us the honors? So when we last
1: left our heroes, they were in the Batcave and Batman answered the Batphone and Bat paused for a really long time. One second, please. What did he say? Was it a prank call? A wrong number? Who knows? They don't tell us. In this first episode, Batman and Robin and the police try to stop Penguin from stealing a folio, whatever that is, but they fail because Penguin has a sparkler in his umbrella, and they are cowards, easily distracted and dissuaded from performing their jobs by the mildest of threats. And that
0: slimy bird slipped right through our fingers.
1: Penguin and Lola Lasagna are fixing a horse race.
0: Angie, all we want to do is win a horse race. We don't want to kill
1: anyone. Bruce Wayne finds out, puts his own horse in the race, gets Batgirl to ride it, she wins. Oh, we're then a very slow bad girl jogs after a very slow penguin who puts his goons on her. She hits them with laundry. This is getting more farcical by the moment. Then Batman and Robin show up for the fight, em! which they win. <clears throat> For some reason, arch-criminal King Tut shows up at the Gotham Library and Commissioner Gordon, visiting his daughter Barbara, does absolutely nothing despite being the police commissioner. It's his job to stop criminals, but he just stands there. Later, Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon are on an extremely hot date. Oh,
0: there's nothing I like better than hearing Lady of Spain played eight times in succession.
1: That is beautiful. Which means that they watch the news in his limo. Hello!
0: out there in television land.
1: King Tut cuts in on the broadcast and promises to rob a factory. Batman and Robin try to stop him and the Batmobile gets bugged in the process. How could I have missed that? Tut figures out that the Batcave is right under Wayne Manor and realizes that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person. but Bruce Wayne drags out the Batman robots so they can appear at the same time. Goodbye, everybody. Then Tut steals some scrolls from the library. Batgirl tracks Tut down and gets knocked unconscious. Batman and Robin help her out in the fight. A police
0: officer sees Louie the Lilac drive by. You don't say. And the Vietnam War raged on. Right at the front of this episode is one of my favorite lines that the Penguin delivers. I think in the entire three seasons of the series, he delivers the line.
1: how did you get unglued?
0: Yeah, that was pretty good. It's a great question. Did you remember what he was referring to? I believe that there was a series of glues from the glue factory where the horses were involved in the previous episode. And there was a number of glues. And I believe that the one that the Penguin used to glue down the Batmobile, which subsequently resulted in both Batman and Robin being stuck in said Batmobile, I believe it was library glue. Hmm. Which I still, to this day, I do not know what library glue may be, nor do I really wish to find out. You have a tremendous um, capacity to remember details from this Batman show. I can remember various glues used within the program. However, you extend that knowledge elsewhere, it gets a little shaky. So you love that quote. What were the other highlights for you in the episode? Look, I don't think that either of these episodes are the best episodes of the show. What do you
1: think is the best episode?
0: So the episode that I think, well, the two-parter I thought were the outstanding yeah. episodes of the show, and I'd like to go back and rewatch them. Maybe I just in a really good mood, mm-hmm. but it was the two bookworm episodes with Roddy McDowell oh, as the bookworm. Okay. Were you in on those two? Yes. Yeah. I
1: remember. That was uh, a good episode of Batman Land as well, didn't we have uh, uh, We Mark had special Humphries. guest Mark Humphries. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, from the feed.
1: Yeah, celebrity superstar, Mark Humphreys. Mm, He's very blonde.
0: Is he ever? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Anyway, go on. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, so there were a number of moments in the episodes that I really did sort of, it tickled my fancy. First up, I did like the moment where the Penguin was looking to buy some parasols. So it opens up the newspaper, which I have to say, I appreciate the shows from 1967. But at no point does it remind me more that this is a show from 1967 with how much they actually look in newspapers to get information. Yeah. Like the other week, there was the wedding notice of the Penguin marrying Barbara Gordon, and they they found out because they were looking at the evening edition of the newspaper.
1: Yeah, that
0: kind of stuff makes me a little bit wistful for the days of um, paper. Uh, but in this one, you've got the Penguin wanting to buy some parasols, so it ends up calling a ad, which is a fake ad that Batman's put in a paper, and it connects him through to A.L. Fred, who I'm sure we can guess who that guy is. It's Alfred. Yeah, I still don't get it. Mm. Hello, Mr. Alfred. Yes, this is Alfred. Another moment I liked was just hearing the phrase from Bruce that he and Dick were out taking their daily constitutional. Great expression. Now, I've heard you use that phrase around the office a few times. I have, and just yesterday,
1: uh, another colleague used it. Do you remember? um, Fiona Williams used that uh, expression.
0: Yeah. Also, another Batman Land regular... Uh, voice that people hear. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's something about this podcast and Constitutionals.
1: For me, the first episode um, is all about Ethel Merman, just like the previous one. Now, you were excited about Ethel
0: Merman in last Very week's Batman excited, Land. Yes, so you were happy to see her. Did it play out as you really hoped? Do You think as highly of Ethel Merman now as you did last week, even more so, if that's possible. Okay. I mean,
1: she's a tremendous song and dance woman. Mainly, she's mainly known as a singer. She's from New York. She, um, I watched a whole bunch of. Uh, Videos of her on old-timey TV shows, belting out show tunes with Judy Garland, that kind of thing. She was in lots of big Broadway musicals. But most importantly, she was in roughly 30 to 45 seconds of the best movie of all time, Airplane, which you know as Flying High, which we discussed on the last episode. Mm. But she- Best movie of all time. Yeah, the best. The absolute best. So in this episode, what I noticed more was her eye work. She's always- Lifting her eyes, her eyebrows go up, her eyes go wide. It's tremendous. Very emotive and evocative.
0: Well, she's a stage actress, so I'm guessing her facial tics are probably have to be a little bit sort of more voluminous. Exaggerated, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, Ethel Merman, do you think she'd ever seen the Batman TV show before she signed on to do these episodes? I doubt it. Mm. She's a Broadway woman. I doubt she
1: was watching a Batman show, but uh, who knows? Maybe she was into all of the... um, meats of the uh, cultural stew, as they say.
0: I just can't picture a situation where Ethel Merman's come home after a hard day, you know, whatever she's done, uh, sits down with a peanut butter sandwich where she's chopped off the crusts and sat down to watch the Batman TV show. Oh, sorry, it's American, so it's probably peanut butter and jelly. Why do you say peanut butter sandwich? That's just what I imagine she might
1: nosh on. My children eat lots of peanut butter sandwiches. Mm. No jelly. No jelly.
0: Are you raising them as Australians? Is that what you've got happening here? Well, I don't know. Is that an Australian thing? Well, I, I don't know why we do it that way. We don't have jelly, but peanut butter is a commonly consumed uh, sandwich uh, spread. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Have it's, you ever had peanut butter and jelly? The supermarket aisles, they're filled with the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not actually entirely sure what jelly is. <laughs> it's jam. Is it just jam? Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was like more of a sugary sort of a thing. I just well, assume- jam, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's sweet fruit preserve. Okay. So it's a little bit iffy. So like, You've never had peanut butter and jelly. Well, no. I keep my peanut butters in one sandwich. I keep my jam <laughs> on another sandwich. <laughs> now that's twice more meat. You know, in America, they have jars of peanut butter
1: and jelly. Oh, I believe to it to save you from mixing <laughs> two different jars of condiments.
0: <sighs> Progress. Yeah. That's what that is. It's the land of the free. Oh, very much so.
1: Um, I also loved Ethel Merman's um, chemistry with Burgess Meredith. I know you're not a fan of the Penguin. But I, I really like him. I think he's very funny. Yeah. I like his, vo- his I like the. Rah, rah, rah. I can't, I can't hear that enough.
0: Oh no, no, I love that. I think that's hilarious. But no penguin episode really ever quite works for me, and I don't know what it is. It's a Dan Barrett thing. It's not. Is penguin. it because
1: you can't see Burgess Meredith as anything but Mick?
0: Look, I certainly understand why you'd say that, but I have to actually confess, I don't think I've actually seen one of the Rocky movies where he was in a live presence for.
1: You, have you not seen all of the Rocky movies?
0: Look, I know I've seen like at least half of the original Rocky movie, but I also feel that it may be before he's really started his training regimen. But doesn't
1: he? He dies. The character dies in the third one, right? Clubber yeah, dying punches him.
0: But like the first Rocky film I ever saw was that film. Uh, I think they called it Rocky Balboa, which was the return for Sylvester Stallone's Rocky franchise.
1: That is bizarre. That's, that's the first would, one I saw.
0: Why would you start with that one? It's just what I came to it. Like it's. There wasn't much going on at the cinema that day. I went along, checked out that movie. Strange.
1: I am Senora Lola Lasagna. Lasagna in a penguin's tail feathers. <laughs> come on, come on, let's go, you two. But yeah, so they have great chemistry off each other. There's a lot of riffing between Ethel Merman and Burgess Meredith, which which I like a lot. And um, I guess they're both uh, they both seem to be on a similar wavelength. It's just it's fun.
0: Yeah, although I did feel that Ethel Merman, as, like, look, she was great in the two parts, but I kind of felt that she was in a different show. Like, it didn't really quite feel like a Batman villain performance.
1: Yeah, well, that would make sense. I feel like she looked right down the barrel of the camera a few times. Yeah,
0: I mean, she was also not in costume, which I guess is maybe something that differentiates her from most Batman villains. Oh, yeah. Like, she wasn't in a big um, lasagna. No, I mean she might as well have been wearing sort of old Aunt Harriet like outfits for all I recognised. That's right. That's true. I didn't know. I didn't realise that. So something that I actually really did enjoy in the episode, and it surprised me a little bit because my politics have changed somewhat, is I really enjoyed all the stuff at Gotham Park Raceway. Now I'm not really much into horse racing. I think it's a little bit barbaric, we probably shouldn't still be doing it. Horses get hurt in a way that I think is maybe just a bit unconscionable. We're a civilized, uh, mature people now, like maybe horse racing is something we can just move on from. Are you objecting to the racing part or the riding part? I usually object to racing, but I kind of enjoyed watching it in this. And I think because of the ridiculousness of seeing Batgirl as one of the jockeys. Yes, that was strange. Yeah, which can I just ask a question about Bruce Wayne? Millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne, resident of Stately Wayne Manor. Of course. He has a racehorse, but he doesn't have a jockey. Like, surely this would be something of which he'd organize or would be part of the purchase of the racehorse. Like, you would get staff to look after the horse and also potentially to professionally race it. I don't understand why he's got a racehorse without a jockey.
1: Let me answer that question with another question. Mm. Are you a millionaire
0: playboy? Look, I know where you're heading with this, and that's a very fair approach to this questioning. Who knows how these people operate? Yeah. Do you think the episode would have been more fun? Because you've got Dick, of whom dressed as... He was like a mystery Spanish rider. Yeah. See, si, senora.
1: Oh, you are Spanish. Do you speak Spanish? Si, senora. Good!
0: Okay, and you got the penguin, who was just wearing, just, you know, gear. Do you think it would have been more fun if all three of them were there in costume in the same way Batgirl's in costume and horse?
1: I think the sight of three caped superheroes... Riding horses in a horse race would have been pretty great visually.
0: Yeah, like Penguin on there holding his hat in one hand and a racing prop (laughs) in the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's good TV. So, Nick, in typical Batman fashion, I have to say there are a couple of plot points that I kind of missed along the way. I do know that within the horse race itself, uh, all the horses, well, the jockeys and I guess the owners of the horses, I don't think the horses are making their own active decisions here, but the horses were scratched from the race, which only left three horses in the end. So you had Waynebo, which was uh, Bruce's new horse. Right. Okay. Because obviously Bruce Wayne sounds like Rainbow. It's called Waynebo. I still don't get it. Eh, it's very complicated. Okay. So you got that horse. You've got Parasol, who's been repainted as the Penguin's horse. Right. And then you've got another horse. Like, it's what's bit, the other
1: horse's name? It's
0: just some sort of shit horse that they've brought into this. <laughs> okay. No, because the Penguin replaced Parasol. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the horse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: So you got the three horses, and then of course you got Duffercoat Supreme, who's coming up at the end of the horses. I don't know who won. Like, what was even the result of the horse race? Batgirl. Batgirl won. I know Parasol didn't win, so Waynebo was the winning horse. Yes, mm.
1: the Bruce Wayne's horse that Batgirl was riding.
0: Okay, yeah, which would be Waynebo. Did you try to look closely to see if, if Batgirl was a stunt jockey? Surely they were all stunt jockeys, weren't they? I didn't even look because I just assumed that was the case. I know when they got off their horses for that ridiculous chase scene, they were all stunt people running because apparently Yvonne Craig can't run. I don't know, it was a bit weird. I don't quite know where you'd have stunt people. It for was that. pretty
1: awkward. Yeah. I wish they had pulled out even more just to make the, the chase
0: look even slower. Just so you can see the stunt person who's playing Batgirl and like with the moustache with a beard. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Do you think there's something vaguely misogynistic about Batgirl involved in a fight at the end of this episode, where really this is her fight? She's the one that's like chasing down a penguin and his goons. Yeah. So, like, she goes in to take care of business. And suddenly she's fighting him with laundry. I can't <laughs> say something just a bit gross about that.
1: I, I thought it was in line with the absurdity of these fights. I, I think Batman and Robin have, pre Batgirl, have used weird stuff to fight. And it's like it's like the moment from Naked Gun where he gets hit in the face with a towel and acts like he's in serious pain.
0: <laughs> a lot of that going that.
1: on in these fights.
0: I gotta go back and watch that movie.
1: It's after um, airplane, it's the best movie of all time.
0: Okay, so in order of movies, <laughs> airplane, or as we call it in Australia Flying High. Right. Naked gun. That's right. And then do you play Naked Gun two and a half or naked gun thirty-three and a third? I wouldn't include... Or would you drop in Airplane 2?
1: I wouldn't include any of those as number three. Number three is um, The Godfather.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's my trilogy. Godfather, not Godfather Part 2. Different strokes. Oh,
1: no. Yeah, you're right. Godfather Part 2. Sorry.
0: You know, the book is just both of those. Really? At the end of this episode, we're in the library. We see King Tut turn up. Yeah, he just saunters into the library. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Barbara Gordon's been on the beat now for the library bees for what, like a month, month and a half? Feels like a couple of months. Feels like a couple of years. But she's pretty new to the library. I've seen villains in this library now, what, like in two or three episodes out of the six we've seen. They're getting a lot of use out of the library set. Like, do you think they were regularly visiting the library?
1: I know that when I get out of prison, the first place I go is the library Mm. to steal stuff, get a book out, just see what uh, people are
0: like now. Also, do you think the villains are necessarily tied to the areas in the library, um, as defined by the Dewey Decimal System, uh, which sort of defines things associated with their gimmicks? Like when the Joker turns up, does he only go to like, the humor section? Catwoman, um, is she only checking out felines? I'd like to avoid this line of questioning. Or Shame, turning up at, like say, 970.1, which is Indians in the Old West. You have a miraculous um,
1: ability to recall uh, the Dewey Decimal System.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, If I was better at it, I would have actually pointed out that it was 978, which is Cowboys in the Wild West. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of um, emails about it. Yeah, probably. Uh, Lots of people probably filing it from 190, which is modern Western philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Nick Bussain. Yes. King Tut, he's back. We should probably talk about him in the next episode. Oh, wasn't I magnificent? Again. So
1: King Tut is uh, one of my favorite characters as I've discussed on this uh, program before. He, one of my favorite villains, he's- Victor Buono. He is so big and chews up so much scenery and uh, has a little bit of a W.C. Fields uh, in him, in his performance. It's very funny. I really like it. And he's always got a kind of um, sidekick, a lady sidekick who um,
0: duels with him. Yeah, yeah, like, sort of spars with him. Yeah. First time through, we had Nefertiti, who was his mole for that episode. It was a lot of fun. She was huge fun, and I would say she's probably one of my favourite characters to date on the show. Yeah. Like, she was absolutely hilarious. The second time he was on the show, fairly inconsequential uh, mole there. But the woman on this one, like, she's hilarious. This town can be a better, safer place to live.
1: I just love better, safer places to
0: live. (laughs) But she came through, it was like this really big, broad performance. And I was wondering, do you think that the broadness of the performance, because the actress playing Nefertiti, she went incredibly broad with huge success. I think that worked out remarkably well. But do you think that's necessary when you're playing against Victor Buano, who plays so broad himself?
1: Uh, No, I think uh, everyone should go as big as possible.
0: I mean, it can't hurt the show at this point. No, I mean, we're in the third season right now. (laughs) We're deep into the third season. Now, here's a question about the library. Why does it have an entire section dedicated towards ancient Egyptian scrolls? Um, Not bound in books, still there on the shelf in scroll form.
1: Well, it's very confusing that this library contains so many priceless antiquities. Scrolls, I believe, would normally be in a museum.
0: Mm. Now, can I just ask you a question? Sure. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, this episode's going to be out tomorrow afternoon as people are listening to it. Right. This Sunday, what are you going to be up to? And would it involve going to an accordion recital?
1: I happen to have three accordion recitals uh, lined up on Sunday. Oh, so that's Why like, do you ask?
0: So it's like an accordion recital crawl that you're involved yeah, in? Yeah, yeah.
1: I just go from um, recital hall to recital
0: hall. Of those three, are any of them going to be playing Lady of Spain eight times in succession?
1: One of them's playing it backwards.
0: Is that so you can hear the original messages that were... Yeah, Paul is dead. Mm. Yeah. So, Bruce and Barbara are heading back from the recital. Clearly, I mean, it'd be a pretty hot and heavy occasion going to... Lots of of milk and cookies. Lots of milk and cookies. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Instead, Bruce is in the back of this car, incredibly nervous with Barbara, and to the point where he ends up saying, like, looking for something to talk about and something to do. Shall I turn the TV on so we can listen to the local newscast? At which point Barbara replies with, That's why the shades are drawn, isn't it? Strangest
1: on a date move possibly ever. I know that you don't, when you're in the middle of, and it's you're feeling each other out on a date, not literally. I mean, sometimes. Uh, well, sometimes. You, you don't put on the TV. No. That's the, well, no, actually, maybe you do. Well, if you wouldn't want to lie back and chill, but let's say you're having a hard—if t- you're having a hard time with conversation, would you just turn on the TV?
0: I don't think I would. I mean, sometimes conversation, is no, questions, stimulated. You, yeah, you try yeah. to get try
1: to get the conversation going. Anyway, it's I mean, even... I've
0: suddenly had dates where TV's been involved. Like you, you had a date on a TV. Yeah, largely it was a big the sixty-eight centimeter. On it, yeah, yeah, right, like right. This is the problem with the flat screens. Romance is dead.
1: More perplexing is. She. It just seems to, normal for Barbara to, yeah, of course, yeah,
0: put, I thought you had drawn the shade so that we could watch TV. But why is Bruce so nervous? Is it purely because he doesn't really have a conversation points? Is it because it's kind of like taking out the boss's daughter? Or is it just that, and let's put it maybe delicately, if it wasn't Barbara in the car, but maybe it was his faithful ward in the car, do you think he'd feel less uncomfortable? Probably. I mm. mean, if
1: this show has taught us anything, it's that,
0: Bruce Wayne isn't necessarily into the ladies. But this is the strange thing as well, and you and I have discussed this away from the podcast, there's an inconsistency in this show as to how they treat Bruce and his romantic dalliances. Yes. Yeah, so you got, like, the nervousness here, but, like, you think back to when Lee Merriweather was there as the love interest a few weeks ago, and there was the milk and cookies incident. Yeah, it was some kissing. Yeah, it was some pretty passionate kissing. He didn't seem nervous then. No, but...
1: I, I was nervous. I felt like he was out of his element.
0: Hmm. I'm feeling very out of my element with this episode. Hey, can we talk about someone who I noticed in the cast of this one? Uh, character actor James Gammon. Do you know who this guy is? Is he related to Michael Gammon? I can't necessarily speak for that. In this, he played the henchman Osiris. But this guy, and you would definitely know him if you saw him by his face, uh, he was in the Major League movies. He played Lou Brown. He's what? A, he's a mustachioed gentleman. Who's Lou Brown in the Major League movies? He was one of the baseballers. One of the players. Yeah. Look him up. Look, just look him up now. Oh, my God. This guy was in this episode? Yeah, that guy.
1: Yeah, he's great in Major League.
0: Yeah. Like, you know him when you see he's him. The, he's the manager, the coach. Yeah. Now, he's been in a whole bunch of things over the years. Probably most notably, he played Nick Bridges, being Nash Bridges' father in the popular TV series, Nash Bridges. Oh, well, who could forget Nash Bridges starring... Um, Don Johnson. Don Johnson. And Cheech Marin.
1: And that's where, um, well, some big names got their start on that show. Yeah, um, a bunch
0: of big names. This... I believe Damon Lindelof had some time oh, in Nash Bridges. No, we all got to start somewhere. Yeah, indeed we do. But King Ty, he's taken over the TV, and he's predicting crimes to come. And he did mention that the Andrews Hockey Puck Factory will be robbed before he finishes his next sentence.
1: Yeah, so he says that, and then later on, they can't arrest him or stop him because he hasn't committed any crimes. He's just sitting there, but he has promised to commit a crime.
0: No, no, he is predicting crimes happening. He doesn't necessarily say that he's involved in a crime. Oh, okay. So it's a very fine line. However, my question is this. Batman and Robin walk away from that first exchange where they go to see Tut in his tent. Tut's tent. The TT. The TT. So they wander into the TT. Tut's like, hey, look, predicting a crime. Batman and Robin decide they're going to head off and try to deal with the crime that's just been predicted. But my question is, why aren't they doing anything which is not necessarily crime-related, but trying to help out the poor history professor who keeps being knocked on the head and thinks he's King Tut? He's clearly got a mental illness. Why are Batman and Robin not sensitive to the fact there's a guy that really needs their help?
1: His mental um, illness in this episode is kind of ignored. Mm-hmm. Normally they um, they address how he has to get hit over the head and turn into King Tut, and reverse him at the end. Usually, yeah. and then and there's usually a lot of leniency um, granted him at the end because they know that he's just been hit on the head and that's why he's committing these horrific crimes.
0: Yeah. Now I do like that King Tut comes up with the idea of trying to work out who Batman is by putting a little tracking device on the Batmobile. He uses the Tut Scope, which seems like a very Batcave-related tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's got the Tut Scope. He realized the Batman has got under stately Wayne Manor, and he's got that great line saying, Don't oh, be a son of a Byzantine, Byzantine king. king. Yeah. You know what that is. Which I thought was fantastic. So he works out that Bruce and Batman are the same person. His, like the gangster's mole, realizes the same thing. She says it very loud and broadly.
1: That means that Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same in
0: one. And he takes the TV with the idea that he's going to unmask Bruce as Batman. Although it's weird because. Bruce is not wearing a mask and batman would be wearing a mask so for tv purpose it'd be better the other way around that's not how they play it though and then the Batman Bill rocks up with a batman robot in there yeah which is a bit weird because in the mid 60s those sort of things were used in the comics all the time but i don't think batman had robots superman had robots that were regularly used to mask his own like secret identity
1: in the comics
0: yeah so superman had tried out a superman robot and so people would think, oh, look, it's Superman. Meanwhile, he does something as Clark Kent and, you know, just ignores all suspicion.
1: Was it, was it similar to the robot in Superman 3 at the end?
0: I don't remember Superman 3. The one with Richard Pryor? I mean, I know it's got Richard Pryor and I always remember Superman 4 with the nuclear man. Yeah, who could forget? Yeah. Anyway, very weird moment that takes place with all of this, which is that you see people watching this on their TV at home, including one Barbara Gordon who's sitting on the couch watching this newscast, and she turns to her bird, Charlie, and says, "'It would be quite the joke on you, Charlie, "'if Batman were Bruce Wayne.'" Why is it a joke on Charlie? I don't know, like, is this an ongoing conversation to have in their household where he's constantly going on about how Bruce Wayne and Batman could never be the same person? Whereas Barbara's like, no, no, like, maybe they could be, and Charlie is insistent as a bird, speaking in his little birdie language.
1: Considering that they would be good friends, it's kind of a petty thing to say, Like, she's kind of shoving it in her parrot's face.
0: Yeah. Her parrot's got a name. It's Charlie. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just not a very nice thing to say.
0: Mm. But I do like there's extensive conversations happening in Batgirl's household between her and a bird.
1: It makes her seem a lot more lonely than um, you might expect.
0: There's nothing wrong with talking to your pets, Nick.
1: Uh, I guess it depends on the conversation.
0: I talk to my dogs all the time and not just about the weather. Do you have any birds? My parents used to have uh, two birds. Both were met with unfortunate demises. You ate them? They're not horses, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Good callback.
1: Yeah. My favorite moment, speaking of Naked Gun, was when this happens towards the end, and Commissioner Gordon's on the phone, and he keeps saying, You don't say. You don't say, you don't say. He gets off the phone. Bruce and Barbara say, what did he say? <laughs> and Commissioner Gordon
0: says, he didn't say. Great little run. I loved it. It was very funny. Yeah, no, that was good. Another bit of dialogue I liked was uh, when they said, she's Batgirl, the supremely feminine scourge of all that is criminal.
1: Yeah, She. I guess she is supremely feminine.
0: Hmm. Hey, can I go back to the Batman robot for a moment? Please. The thing that they've always done in a show when Batman is needing to be in the same place as Bruce at the same time is that have Alfred in a Batman costume. Why didn't they do that this time through?
1: Um, I think that uh, maybe people are just onto it. I mean, he doesn't even shave his mustache for it. I guess it's just the jig is
0: up. Alfred has a mustache. Yeah, he's a little bit taller and thinner than uh, Adam West as well. Never noticed. We find out in this episode that today was Barbara's first day off in a month, and that got me thinking about Batgirl and Barbara Gordon, obviously never seen in the same place at the same time. But does Batgirl ever appear during library hours?
1: Um, maybe robot Batgirl. Yeah, I assume she's right. not a robot.
0: Mm. Uh, I thought it was good at the end where Tuck calls out Bruce Wayne for being deadly dull. Well, he is incredibly dull, mm. as evidenced on his date with Barbara. But you know who's not dull? Uh, Louis the Lilac. Milton Berle. Milton Berle making his first appearance in Batman. That seemed pretty cool. I I had no idea he was on this
1: show. He's an iconic comedian and an early TV pioneer.
0: Yeah. Well, he's Uncle Milsy. Yeah.
1: I think that that bodes well for the next episode.
0: Yeah. I think we've got some big things to talk about with Milton Berle next week. Oh, my God. I'm uncomfortable. Mm. I'm uncomfortable with those kinds of references. You know what I'm talking about, though. (laughs) I'm becoming more and more uncomfortable as we keep talking about it. So here's the thing with the end of the episode. you got the police officer who recognises that. Louis the Lilac is rocked up in town. Yeah. He gets on the blower to Commissioner Gordon and is like, dude, chief, boss man, Louis the Lilac's in town. Yeah. Just thought I should give you the heads up. At which point, I know that at the beginning of next week's episode, Commissioner Gordon, Batman, and everyone else will be very surprised to find out that Louis Louis Lilac's in town. Because there is a complete discrepancy between them finding out, like, there's a villain around at the end of these episodes, and then next week they seem surprised to find out, you know, the Penguin's around.
1: Yeah, they're not doing a great job of interconnecting these episodes week to week, even though they appear to be... There's a reason that there's a tease at the end and everything.
0: I think it's a really smart convention to put it in place there.
1: Yeah, except that the, the fact that they don't connect sometimes makes me think that TV in the '60s you could just you could get away with all kinds of stuff and nobody cared.
0: You can do anything now; it's fine. Is it? No. People would be <laughs> people would be outraged. Can you imagine the fan communities around Batman if oh, they tried pulling that sort of nonsense man. today?
1: They'd be assassinated. Uh, speaking of which, did you see that the Penguin might be in the Batman movie?
0: Which Batman movie?
1: The next Batman movie.
0: Oh, like the Batman. Yeah. Penguin might be the, um, there was some suspicious tweets. I'm gonna have to get onto that Twitter. Hey Nick, that brings us to the end of another Batman land. What? I know. It's over already. Gone by so quickly. Nick Bussain, people can find you on Twitter like you still do that, right?
1: Um, I love to be on Twitter. I'm at WC Fields. I just tweet all of um, his classic lines. But you can also find me at Nick to
0: W-W-C Fields.
1: It's at W-C-W-C, parentheses, not water closet, Fields. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. Just to
0: clear it up. Yeah. Uh, People can find me at the Dan Barrett. If you've been enjoying Batman Land, use the hashtag on your social media, Batman Land. People look at it going, what's a Batman Land? And then they might discover the podcast. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it, Nick? It'd be great. It'd be fantastic. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave reviews. Helps other people find the show. If you're enjoying Batman, check it out. SBS Vice land every Friday night, 7.30 to 8.30. Then from 8.30 to 9.30, you've got the Naked Adam and Eve show. People love that. There's a different type of justice going on in that program. Monday through Thursdays, if you haven't got enough Batman already, they're screening some more season two episodes just throughout the week. Uh, so you can watch some other episodes. But the quote-unquote new episodes are the ones on Friday night, and those are the ones we'll be discussing here on the Batman Land. Nick Bassine. Are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk you, big guy. As you know, we'll be back next week. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. Absolutely. See you then. Where's Alfred? He's probably out shopping. Today's market day. You know how he likes to take advantage of the specials. Hello.